I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 2. And from this particular passage, I want to begin with one verse of Scripture here, and then I will allude to the verses that are around it. But for the sake of time, I want to get into other scriptures this morning. And this is part two of our new covenant works, because we believe that we are saved by grace through faith. And we believe we're supposed to live our lives through the grace of God. And some people truly misunderstand that. And they may think, well, if we're by grace, if we're living by grace, then we really don't have to do anything. And that's the furthest thing from a biblical truth. And that's what I want us to understand this morning. And I want us to be able to be able to comprehend this. So there are works that come with grace. There, there really are. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that I labor more abundantly than you all. But it's not me. It's the grace of God that was with me. Whatever you have experienced in your life that you may call grace... If it's not affecting you in regards to works, then it's not a biblical grace. And it's not a saving grace. Because the grace of God that comes to us is going to energize us. It's going to stir us. And it's going to move us to actions of faith. Faith without works is dead. And so we can say that we are believers. We can say that we are people of faith. We can say that we're living in God's grace But if we have no works to testify of that, then anybody would have the right to say, I don't see your faith. I don't see it. And so perhaps your faith is a dead faith. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. In Colossians chapter 2, he says in verse 6, As you have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now, as you're walking in the Lord, you received him. That's how you're supposed to live in him. But there is this walk. And in this walk, you're going to become more rooted. You're going to become built up in Jesus. You're going to be more established in your faith. In other words, there's a maturity to this life. And from the day that you were born again, you became sanctified, you became glorified, you were justified, you were made holy the very moment you were born again, but you were not born again mature. You have to grow into that maturity. And the way that you grow into spiritual maturity is not through dead works, but it's through good works, and it's through the grace of God. And so we're supposed to grow in the Lord. The caution that we need to have is we need to be aware of the philosophers that are in the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be aware of the intellectuals, which would also be identified with the philosophers. Man's thoughts, man's way of thinking, man's way of comparing things and comparing people. And this is the way I think it ought to be. That can come into the grounds of tradition. It can come into the grounds of upbringing. It can come into the grounds of how church used to be when you were a kid, what your grandma believed, what your mama believed, what your daddy believed. And, and all of that can come into the realms of philosophy, and, and that, that can be extremely dangerous. And so Paul gives this warning in Colossians, beware of philosophy. Beware of the things that men will try to put on you in the name of Jesus Christ. Beware of men trying to tell you what you can eat or cannot eat. Beware of men trying to tell you what type of days you should observe and when you should observe them. Beware of these legalistic requirements 
that philosophy will bring into your life. When you live in the church of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is truly alive in the church and the Holy Spirit is ministering in the church, be certain that he is going to do things that jolt you. He is going to do things that confront your tradition. He is going to do things that confront your philosophy. He's going to bring changes. He's going to do things differently than your way of doing it. Young people will bring a different style of music than the style that you grew up on. The style that you grew up on might have been offensive to the style your grandparents grew up on. But the Holy Spirit begins to move in life, and we have to be aware of that, that I can't be stuck in my philosophy. I need to walk in the truth, and I need to walk in the Spirit, and I need to be established in the faith. So as you receive Jesus, you're supposed to walk in Jesus. So let's see how we received him. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's one of the clearest and most direct statements of our conversion and our faith. And so he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he talks about our death. And he talks about how we were in sin. Chapter In verse 4, he talks about the transition that God loved us in that condition, in that good God loved you when you were dead in your sins. God loved you when you were away from him. God loved you when you were a rebel. He loved you then. And he gave you the offer of salvation. He didn't make you saved, but he gave you the offer of salvation. And when you believe on Jesus Christ, then God saves you. And when God saves you, this is what happens. He tells us in verse 5, When we were dead in sins, he quickens us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, verse eight is significant. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Remember our verse in Colossians. As you received the Lord Jesus, walk in him. How did you receive him? By grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. As you received him, walk in him. What does that mean? You live the rest of your Christian life by grace being saved through faith, not works of yourself. But the gift of God, the work of God, the power of God constantly working in your life. So beware of philosophy because philosophy is going to try to get you to do something for you. And you're not going to be able to accomplish it. And so you were saved by grace, through faith, not of yourself, but God, the gift of God. And that's how you live this life. By grace, through faith, the work of God, not of yourself. Please understand that. Because it's very clear in Ephesians 2, that's how we were saved. If you would go back further to Romans chapter 4. I want you to understand this the, the, this life of faith that was demonstrated in Abraham, the father of faith. In Romans chapter 4, he says, because the law works wrath 
For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. And so how is it? It is of faith that it might be by grace. That's this life. And so your life must be of faith so that it might be by grace. Now, when we talk about grace, we're talking about God's power, God's ability, God's work, God's energy. That's what we're talking about. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is God and whatever he does in your life is the, is the grace of God. And so we live a life by faith so that everything that's happening in us will be by grace. It's, it's not that we live a life so that at some point in our life we can say, I did it. I accomplished this. I finally got to the place where I could pray an hour a day. Guess what? God's not pleased with it. If you're praying an hour a day because you did it, it's not an act of faith. It's an act of works. But if you're praying an hour a day because you know it's by the grace of God, then God did it. Celebrate it. You, by faith, were pursuing him. And it is God that did the work in your life, which is beautiful. He tells us in Romans 5, verse 2, it says by Jesus Christ, or verse 1 says, We're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so the wonderful thing is we're justified by faith. We have access by faith into grace. And so that just simply means that the means of grace working in your life is your faith. You believe God. You believe God can do it. God convicts you. God says that you have a bad temper. What do you do? Okay, God, I'm going to change my bad temper. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to go to church classes that teach me how to control my temper. And eventually, I'm going to be able to get my temper under control because I'm going to learn how to count to five before I say something when I'm upset. No, that's not it. But what happens is... God tells you you have a bad temper. You agree with God in prayer that you have a bad temper. And then you begin to rely upon God's Holy Spirit to give you a good temper. And God begins to do that in your life. That is being saved by grace through faith. How many people have come into our churches and said, I tried Christianity and couldn't do it? I tried Christ and I, and, and I didn't do it. Salvation is great for you. Y'all are such good people. No, we're not. We're not good people. We're horrible people. But anything good in us is the grace of God. And why is that happening in us? Because of faith. And so it's not out of reach of anybody. There's nobody that can say, I tried Christianity. No, you tried the religion. You didn't come by faith. Because if anybody has faith in God, they will have the grace of God. So nobody can say, why did God do that for them and he didn't do it for me? It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of works. It's not a God, a matter of God having preference over somebody else, over another person. It's just a matter of faith. And if you are struggling with something in your life, if it's drinking or something of that nature, and you know that God has a problem with this because he's convicted you of it, then you agree with God and you believe God to give you freedom and victory over that bondage in your life. 
And if you exercise that faith in God, then the same God who delivered somebody else because of faith will deliver you because of faith. You believe, that's how we're saved. That's how we live. That's how we go on. And we don't have to live secret Christian lives, living in isolation, because we know personally that we're absolute failures and we'd be an embarrassment to everyone else if they knew who we are. We're all an embarrassment apart from the grace of God and the strength of God and the power of God. But the truth is, is that there are so few that are living by grace through faith. We, we live a mixture. We live a little bit of this and we live a little bit of Moses. We live a little bit of faith in Jesus. We all know God can do anything, but we all like to help God just a little bit. And God will not receive that help. He won't. He'll just allow you to fail over and over and over again. It would be interesting if we asked everyone to take out a piece of paper and write down on it, on that sheet of paper, you know, what are the things that you could do to become a better Christian? Be more used of God. It would probably be interesting to see how much of Moses would be on your list. You know, I ought to give myself to prayer more. I ought to have more confidence in God. And I ought to read the Bible more. And I ought to be more caring of other people. And I ought to go to church more. And I ought to tithe more. And I ought to give more. I ought to have a greater witness in my life. And so the focus would a lot of times be upon ourselves. But what we ought to do is, is we ought to believe God more, rely upon God more, and rest upon God more. And then through that, as God begins to work in our life, then faith will take hold of that, and faith has works. And faith will be very diligent in the things of God. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible more. There's nothing wrong with being more faithful in prayer. There's nothing wrong with tithing. There's nothing wrong with church attendance. But if you think by doing that, you're going to become a better Christian, you're absolutely wrong. It's the confession of our life and the trust and the reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit begins to move upon you through his grace, you're going to go to church. You're going to be in the prayer meeting. You're going to tithe. You're going to read your Bible. Why? Because you're spirit-led. Spirit-led. You know, somebody that wakes up this morning on a day like today... I said, oh my gosh, it's horrible. I don't feel like going to church. They're not spirit-led. They're emotion-led. They're weather-led. But somebody looks at that weather and says, man, it's nasty today. I'd love to lay in bed all day. I sure would. You know, but what am I? I'm spirit-led. I'm going to church today. I'm going to prayer meeting tonight. I'm spirit-led. And these are the things that moves us by the Spirit, by the, by the Holy Spirit. When we try to perform these things, the result is more failure and with failure comes the attacks of condemnation. Our conscience bears witness with it. And we feel that we are horrible people and we're disappointed because we had more confidence in ourselves to do better. And that's really what confidence is. And we become very saddened about the prayers we haven't prayed, the promises we haven't kept, the souls we haven't witnessed to. And this desire or demand upon ourselves to do more and to do better just becomes a, a very, very heavy burden. I wanted to read this to you. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Go ahead and tell a man who worships reason that his thirst to validate the truth and to understand the mysteries of God are the very things that keep him ignorant. Tell him that his pride to have reason satisfied is what keeps his spirit and heart famished. 
Tell him that the constant efforts he employs to be more holy by a good self are what keeps him unholy. Tell him until he acknowledges that he is vile and unholy and can do nothing to make himself better, then and only then can he become holy. Tell him he can do nothing to help God. Tell him by grace alone, through faith, can he be saved, sanctified, and glorified in Christ. Then, try to tell the man who lives by reason that he becomes good by agreeing he's bad. He becomes holy by agreeing he's unholy. Tell him he receives the most when he gives the most. Tell him, he, he, tell him the way up is down. He never stands taller than when he's on his knees. Go ahead, tell the man of reason that the last are first. Tell him that by dying he lives. Go ahead, tell the smart man he must be born again. Watch for the response. His small head cannot grasp the sanity of such a statement, you must be born again. But still, you must be born again. Not because you understand how that happens, but because Jesus said you must be. William Law says, Man needs to be saved from his own wisdom as much as from his own righteousness, for they produce the same corruption. Nothing saves a man from his own righteousness, but that which delivers him from his own wisdom. Very, very profound and true statement. Some people mistrust the grace of God and misunderstand it and think that if we live by grace and so forth, then... We can live any way that we want, and we can do anything that we want. And if, and if we advocate grace, then we're giving people a license to sin. And Christians will get out of hand, and their behavior will get out of hand. Roy Hessen wrote this, I can imagine that my thoughtful reader may still not be satisfied and would be saying, Might not all this grace lead to irresponsibility among Christians? Where they do the very thing Paul counseled them against. When he said, we beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. And yes, it might. Men can abuse grace. But that is the calculated risk of God. If he tightened up on grace and introduced all sorts of extra conditions to be fulfilled. Whereas it might prove salutary for some. It would make others despair, perhaps the greater number, for they might feel it was beyond their feeble resources. So God decided to let grace be grace and to attach no strings to it. If grace does not produce holiness, God has no other way. But thank God it does. It does and it can. And so I just want us to consider living under grace and what does this mean and are you doing it? So someone who says, well, I don't have to read my Bible. I'm under grace. I don't have to tithe. I'm under grace. I don't have to give offerings. I'm under grace. I don't have to go to church. I'm under grace. I don't have to be concerned about the body of Christ. I just go to church because I'm under grace. Are they really under grace? Absolutely not. No way whatsoever is that living under grace. But actually, it's the abuse of grace. It's the philosophy of their own reasonings. Consider Abraham and the grace life that he lived 
and the faith that was demonstrated through his life. Look how the grace of God and the faith in Abraham changed everything about his life. Abraham is our example, right? He is the father of our faith, right? But look what the grace of God did to him because he had faith. He left his family. He left his gods. He left his career. He put his son on an altar for sacrifice and would have taken his life. That's what the grace of God did to this man. What has the grace of God done to you? How has it affected you? What changes have come into your life? Abraham followed God. He had no other gods. He was totally committed. What is this faith today that people say they have? Faith that they claim that they're living in when they cannot be faithful to the most elementary demands of Jesus Christ. We're not faithful to even the carnal desires of Jesus, much less the spiritual desires of Jesus. What is this faith? Husbands and wives are at odds with one another. Struggles and division and gossip and slander are commonplace in the house of God. Unfaithfulness, the inability to count upon one another, to trust in one another, to depend upon one another, commonplace in the house of God. What is this faith today that we claim? I believe in Jesus Christ. I said the sinner's prayer. I was baptized in water. Great. Devils could do that. But what is the faith that you have? How has the grace of God affected you? How does it affect you when you're struggling with sin? Does the grace of God that you have tell you it's okay? Or does the grace of God that you have tell you this is unacceptable to God? And therefore leads us to a constant state of confession with the Lord. To live by grace through faith is to avail myself of every help that God offers me. To live by grace through faith is to believe that it all exists. And the reward is worth every sacrifice. That's how the grace of God affects you. If you have faith. If you don't have faith, then the grace of God is there just bouncing off of your life. Because perhaps that the faith that we have is not a saving faith. It's a dead faith. But when the grace of God comes to you and you have saving faith in that grace, then it greatly affects your life. And you avail yourself of those very things that God is giving to you so that you can be established in the faith and you can grow in Christ. You begin to see these things in a, in a much different way as your faith begins to work that you find yourself, I'm going to church because of faith. I believe in what God said about the church. I believe in what God said about the body of Christ. And therefore, I go to church. I want to be involved in the church. I want to help the church. I want to know the problems that people are having. I want to fast for them, and I want to pray for them. And I want their problems to be my problems. And I want their blessings to be my blessings. Because I believe what God has said about the church. I cannot be a casual visitor. I want to be the body. I want to be in there because I believe it. It's that the faith that you have that disturbs you like it disturbed Abraham. I pray by faith. I pray because I believe God exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I don't pray out of fear anymore. 
But I pray out of faith now because there's a God to be known and I want to know him and I want to be close to him and I'm desperate for him and I want the reward of his presence. That's the difference. And some people just pray because I want to have a good day and I want to cover all the bases and, and rub on the genie and tell God, bless me today. Not so much of faith. We sing by faith. We get in these altars by faith because the Word of God tells us to. But philosophy says you don't have to. But the Word of God says we do. And so what does faith in you do? Faith moves you like it moves Abraham. I study the Word of God by faith. This is the faith. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I want to be a workman that's not ashamed. So now I come to the word of God by faith because I want to be a workman. I want to know the word of God. I want to see Jesus in the word. So I'm going to come by faith into this book. Not because I'm worthy. Not because I've earned it. Not because I deserve it. But because it's the extension of God's gift to me. And I want to be in it. Even the purging of ourselves is by faith. And the love of God that is profitable. You see, this line can be very, very significant between dead works and good works. And oftentimes, people cannot really tell the difference. There are people that might call some people that are living in the manifest grace of God and in the abundance of God. They might call some of those people very legalistic. Because of their disciplines and their devotions to Jesus Christ. And they look on the outside and say, oh, they're so legalistic. They, they go to prayer meeting on Sunday nights when they could be kicked back in the bed watching a good movie. You can't call them legalistic. You don't know why they're there. And some people that are there for everything might be absolutely legalistic. That's not for us to judge. That's for God to judge. That's for God to deal with. I know this. I'm deeply broken. I'm at the core of who I am, flawed. There is nothing good in me. I was meeting with someone recently about the grace of God, and they said, I just don't bear it if I thought that I wasn't a good person. I like to at least think of myself as average among men, that... I know there's bad in me, but I, I like to believe there's good in me. And I just thought and said to the individual, I said, how very sad. What is it going to take for God to show you what you really are? Because he will. How much better to come to the place like the Apostle Paul, and, and, and we can all quote it, but we don't all believe it. There's nothing good in me. Nothing good in me. A lot of these faith movements today, a lot of these kingdom now, NAR, preaching and teaching things about might and taking over. And you can't admit that there's any flaw in you, there's any bad. You know, all of these positive statements about your life. I, I'd rather take the side of Paul. There's nothing good in me. I'm the chief of sinners. And I want to live a broken life so the grace of God can rest upon me. I'd much rather that way than the way of trying to Assume that I'm good. I was telling the pastors at the retreat this past week. I said, it, is, it strikes me that today Jesus Christ has become the means to our end. He's the modern day apple. Much like Satan offered Eve in the garden. 
Eat this and you'll be like God. Believe this and you'll be like God. And that's what a lot of believers are being led into today. Jesus is the means to your end. Believe him. Become a kingdom person. And when you become a kingdom person, you're going to be filled with power. And Jesus becomes a sideshow and you become the main show. It's your ministry, your anointing, your power, your authority, your responsibility, what you're going to do in the earth because of Jesus. But it's what you're going to do. Just just like the apple Satan gave to Eve and said, eat this, eat this. It's wonderful we can talk to pastors like that, isn't it? I'm in a place of great demand for the grace of God, to have faith in God. If I, by work, become a great man of prayer, then I'll probably give Bible study lessons on how I did it. But if I was to say that grace taught me how to pray, grace taught my heart to fear, then I can only give credit to God and give hope to you. I've been blessed to be around some of the greatest men that I believe I could ever be around. Their lives were incredible. And I would hear so many people say, I want to be like them. And they would watch their life and they would model their life. And I said to them, that's just vain and futile. If they are what they are because of the grace of God, then you could never work to be what they are. And if they are what they are because of what they did, then you don't want to be like them. But if you would let the grace of God make you what he wants you to be, then your life will be beautiful. And God will deal with you. I've had pastors tell me I must be up early in the morning before other men are working to serve their God. I must be praying to serve mine. And I said, well, what about the men that work late into the night? When do you ever sleep? It's to serve God by the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Spirit of God. And let the Lord be our leader and to walk in the word of God and have a work of faith in our life. The apostle Paul said they glorified God in me. They didn't glorify me. They glorified God in me. And that word glorified just means they celebrated God because they recognized that if God could do this with Paul or Saul of Tarsus, then imagine what God could do with me. But if the Apostle Paul was saying they glorified me because I'm such a mighty man and I'm such a great apostle and I've, I've been caught up to the third heaven and I know things about God and I know things about the kingdom and I know things about the gospel and I know things about Melchizedek and I know things about the high priest and I know things about the rapture and I know the mysteries of God. I know all these things of God because I've walked so close with God and I'm so intimate with God that I've even been caught up to the third heaven. Then people would stand around dumbfounded with their jaws dropped thinking, My God, what a man of God. I'll never be like that. But if the Apostle Paul said they glorified God in me, then what does that do? It gives all men hope. Because if God can do this in his life, he can do this in my life. The only thing you need, as I said in the very beginning, as you received him, walk in him by grace through faith. Let the grace of God have its effect on your life because you have faith. In what God is doing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. That's a good work. 
You're not producing anything. You're just simply allowing what God is doing in you to manifest through you because you believe he can do it. You believe he can do it. And that time you want to lose your temper because you're so upset. You're so grossly upset. You want to lose your temper. It's not like, okay, I'm going to count to five. If the temper's really bad, I'll count to ten. No, but it, there, there's a voice inside of you who is the Spirit of God, and it's the grace of God. Jesus wouldn't do that. I know you want to lose it. I know that you want to let somebody have it, but that's not me. That's you. Let me live. And, and you, by faith, choose to just agree with him. I agree with you. You're right. Let Jesus come through me. And he does it. It's absolutely miraculous. It's absolutely mir- spiritual what God does. And we can have that success, and a second later we can fail in something else. Because this doesn't give us our worthiness before God. Jesus does. And the grace of God does, and the strength of God does in our life. And so they rejoiced in Paul, and they rested in Paul. And this is really all I have time for this morning. Carl, if you want to come up, I just wanted to encourage you back in Colossians, if you will, as we close. I wanted you to see this in Colossians chapter 2. Just this exhortation towards the end of that chapter. Because Jesus has blotted out the ordinances that were against us in verse 14. Because God has circumcised your body of sin and removed it from you and put it with Jesus on the cross. Verses 11 and 13. Because Jesus has spoiled principalities and powers and triumphed over them. A new covenant has come. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility, in worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen and vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding the head from which the body by joints and bands are nourished, minister, and knit together, increase with the knowledge of God. You see, if the grace of God is to have an effect in your life, just read verse 19. And examine your life by that. Your involvement with Jesus is demonstrated by your relationship with the church. You can't get away from that. And you want to talk about grace and faith? I could ask you, what's your relationship with Jesus? And probably give me a tremendous answer. What's your relationship with the church? Now we get the real answer. But philosophers, fleshly minds have great excuses.
and they convince themselves and they're okay they're okay with themselves they're not okay with grace they're not okay with God they're okay with themselves because he says in verse 6 as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk ye in him because remember you're not born again mature grow into that maturity so you're going to become rooted you're going to become built up in him established in the faith how are you going to do that verse 19 holding the head who is Jesus Christ and from that head all the body by joints and bands or ligaments and tissue have nourishment ministered and knit together increase with the increase of God if you're not in that knitting you might be growing but not with the increase of God. You judge it. You judge it. You take that scripture. You go pray. You seek the Lord. What have I done with the grace of God? It's not about your perfection. It's not about your ability to say to God, I haven't committed that sin in a month. your confession of faith that is demonstrated in a life that has been radically moved by the Holy Spirit towards the head towards the body towards this growth in Christ where your life is a testimony and people come, your kids come to you your kids are drawn to you they're not leaving you they're not leaving your faith They're not leaving your life. They're not leaving your worship. But they're drawn to you. Because they see the nourishment, the establishment, the glory of Jesus Christ in your life. And they say, Mom, Dad, how do you live like this? And you just say, God did this in me. God did this to me. see the suffering in the body of Christ and you see so many Christians destroyed with depression despair, division homes falling apart lives falling apart you can only come to the conclusion it's not because God's grace fails but it's how we allow God's grace to affect us because of our faith in Him and that grace is extended to every one of us and anyone listening and all you have to do is believe it believe him believe him and he's able to do it he's able to do it and so even as I close it's not saying okay I'm going to be more committed to the church no 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 that's you've missed it it's going to admit to Jesus Christ that if I'm to be nourished with the nourishment of God I must be knit in the church oh God knit me there 
there and say, I'm going to be a better church attender. I'm going to be a believer. My faith is going to move. Let's worship. Let's just take a moment and wait upon the Lord. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you extend to us grace. Even now, you extend to us grace. Even sometimes when you extend to us grace, we just get mad at it. We get upset with it. We get offended. But Lord, let us receive. Let us believe for your grace to work in our life. To bring us the nourishment of God. I need the nourishment of the Holy Spirit. And I get that from the body of Christ. I get that from the fellowship of the head. I just thank you this morning, Lord. You're the God who forgives sin and receives sinners. And the God who is able to preserve his saints and to keep them to everlasting habitations. As we seek you in these moments, God, speak to our hearts. And give us an understanding by the Holy Spirit of where we are with the grace of God. In Jesus' name.